It's good to see you guys tonight. It's good to have our kids back, our teens back from their conference last night and today. I hope you guys had a great time. Good, good. I think they had a good time. Eight years ago, eight years ago, two weeks this past Monday, a good friend called. He was on his way to the hospital with his wife. She had her blood pressure had elevated over 200. Her vision had left her. She was incoherent. And when I got to the uh, hospital, they said that there was bleeding on the brain and swelling, bringing with it confusion and great pain. After being flown by helicopter to Louisville, an exceptional team of doctors diagnosed her and continued the treatment the ER doctor had initiated. Now, my wife, or my, my wife, my friend and his wife, my friend and his wife at the time of this incident were living in the zone, in the zone. If there were a peak to one's effectiveness in the church, in life, when it comes to influence and connectivity, service for God, all the things that matter in the kingdom, these two were living in it. Yet on this day, her life was held in the balance. Why? Why? Hardship, difficulty, tests, trials, why do they come? Why do bad things seem to happen even while living in the zone? Now, this is a recurring theme that the Apostle Paul brings up throughout this letter in the book of Philippians that we've been looking at the last four weeks. But this week, I want us to pause and I want us to add to what Paul is writing here by looking two places in our Bibles. The first is the New Testament book of James chapter 1. If you'll grab a Bible and turn there, I want you to hold your place there in James chapter 1. And then I want us to look at what he has to say to us tonight through the lens of the real life experience of a man named Job. And Job's account is found in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at the first two chapters of his book as well as James takes this subject of hardship while living in the zone and convinces us of the importance of staying power. Now in James chapter 1, the first thing that we see is that James is writing to the early converts from Judaism to Christianity that are now scattered throughout the world. He's writing to people like you and me, believers. And he says in verse 2 of chapter 1, these strange words, he says, Consider it pure joy, brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Now, there are two words that I want you to underline or make note of. The first is when, and the second is many. Challenges and difficult circumstances, bad things will happen. They will happen even in the zone, and these challenges aren't limited to one type of circumstances, but to the full gamut, to many kinds. Fortunately, we have the Scriptures to guide us. And here's the important thing about Scripture. Paul writes for us, every part of Scripture is God 
breathed. It's Holy Spirit inspired. He chose the men who would take down his words. And it's useful one way or another, the message translation says, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, and underlying this, training us to live God's way. Through God's word, it says we are equipped for the task God has for us. And so as we walk through these first 12 verses in the book of James, we're going to look at the account of a man's life by the name of Job as he experiences every difficulty, every worst-case scenario that a believer can imagine. And we're going to let God equip us as he did the apostle Paul. Job chapter 1, verse 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was extremely wealthy. He was the greatest man, the Bible says, among all the people of the East. Now, the first thing I want you to make note of is that Job was living where? Job was living his life in the zone. He was living in the zone. Job also, notice, loved his family. Verse 4, he loved his family so much so that when his sons and daughters would host parties, just in case, just in case they drank too much, just in case they sinned or cursed God, Job would get up early in the morning and he would offer a sacrifice. He would offer a gift, a burnt offering to God for each one of them. Job was so good that God says of him in verse 8 that there was no one on earth like him. Now, when something goes wrong in our lives or the lives of someone we deeply respect, we often say, why would this happen to me? Or they don't deserve this. Now, Job, he was the best of the best, and he's about to get slammed. And so James addresses the reality head on when he says challenges and difficult circumstances. Yes, bad things will happen even when living in the zone. Well, let's continue reading here in Job chapter 1 verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Notice here, Satan is not in hell. We've spoken about this before. Where is Satan today? Satan is roaming the earth. He is going back and forth throughout the world. In fact, he is known as the prince of this 
world. And his number one goal is to what? It is to disrupt the relationship that you and I have with God. Satan is referred to in Revelation 12.10 as the accuser of our brothers. Here, when Satan appears before God, this is where he has been. He has been roaming throughout the earth on a fault-finding mission. Verse 8, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now, this section might be challenging to some of us that God would actually say to Satan, consider my servant Job. But I want you to look at it through these glasses. Here's what God is showing us. As you and I set out to live in the zone, as Rebecca did tonight, I believe Jesus is Christ, Son of the living God, and I accept him as Savior of my life, but also Lord of my life. When we set out to live in the zone, we are in the accuser's sights. He is paying attention to us and whether we will stay focused or if he can get us distracted. Some of you have set out with great resolve this year and last to serve God, to trust his ways in relationship to trust him with your finances. I can't wait until the weekend that I can tell you about two young men in our high school group who have made the commitment to go to Bible college this fall. I am so excited about that. Not to just choose a field of study, but to actually become ministers of the gospel. Some of you have taken a big step just to return to church and to say, I'm going to change my shift in order to be available to be with the church family and worship. You need to know that you are in the accuser's sights and you will be challenged because Satan wants nothing more than to disrupt your relationship with God. In verse 9, the originator of suffering says, No wonder Job is so good, God. I'll give you the paraphrased version. God, you've pampered Job. <laughs> if your hand weren't on him, if you hadn't provided him so well, if he wasn't so wealthy, if his kids didn't live in the same community... Let me bring some hardship in his life, and, and let's see how faithful he is to you. And in verse 12, it says, God gave permission to Satan to attack Job with pain. Some, some of the painful experiences that happen to us in this life are the result of satanic attack. It's right here. Paul called his thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan that tormented him. So we need to know that bad things are going to happen. And bad things happen sometimes as a direct result of satanic attack. 
But get this second point that Job encounter, Job's encounter identifies. Here's what God's teaching us here. Nothing will touch me that God does not allow. Notice there that Satan is given limited, limited permission to attack Job. Your suffering in mind doesn't always mean that God is upset with us or that God is punishing us. Our suffering may be Satan attacking us or us simply experiencing the inevitable consequences of the sinful choices that we've made in our life or the reality that we live in a sinful fallen world. In fact, some of the hardship that we face in life isn't the result of our personal choice, but the choice of others around us. Satan was given limited permission to harm Job, but that second point, that nothing will touch me, that God does not allow, is important. Because we can be sure that God will not allow the testing to be more than what we can bear. There's an old bridge out by my house, a covered bridge, and it says the load limit is five tons, five tons. And every time I drive across, I drive across it to get home and drive across it to come down to the office. I'm reminded that God knows my stress limit and that if I get to the breaking point, he will be there to reinforce me. 1 Corinthians 10 13 in the message says, No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. Now that helps in a way. But we still question, why? Why does God allow any struggle at all? Here are a few reasons that I've come to understand through my own journey and certainly through God's Word, living in the zone. Sometimes God permits me to go through suffering to mature me. To mature me. If you look back with me at James there, chapter 1, verse 3, he writes, the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Maturing in our relationship is not limited to Bible study and prayer. In fact, it's engaging God's character and spirit in the refining fire of this life that maturity comes. Maturity comes when we say no to sin. Maturity comes when we serve others even when we're empty. Maturity comes when we refuse to give in to critics. Maturity comes by being faithful and trust in God in our suffering. Because these trials and the testing of our faith 
adversity, if you will, they identify exactly where we are with Christ. And let me remind you, we do not want to be found incomplete. We want to allow God to bring the work he began in us all the way to completion. Paul understood this, and James understood this, and so he writes in verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Now, wisdom is something that we are repeatedly admonished by God to ask for. We're told over and over again in Scripture that we're to ask for wisdom, and he promises that he will give it to us generously. Why? Why wisdom? Because wisdom is seeing the bigger picture. Wisdom is understanding that God uses everything, including pain and suffering, for his perfect plan in our lives. Wisdom is trusting. Wisdom is trusting and staying the course even when the world, even when the accuser is shouting in our ear, just just give up. The second reason for suffering I've discovered is that God allows me to experience pain so that I can comfort others. Have you found that to be true in your life? This is one of the insights that God brings when we seek Him in our suffering, when we seek not just the solution to our situation, a quick fix, but that God would expose through wisdom that he's at work and there is a greater purpose that we're to join him in. When we go through cancer, when we go through the loss of a spouse, when we go through financial collapse, the person who is the most helpful on this planet is who? It's the person who has gone through this very experience themselves relying on God to get through it. 2 Corinthians 1, 4, right? God comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others in their time of trouble with the comfort we've received from Him. The third reason I believe God allows hardship is to prove our faith genuine. To prove my faith genuine, not to God, He already knows, but to me. To us, to allow us to see and experience him in a way that we otherwise wouldn't. James says in verse 6, when he asks for wisdom, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord, because he's double-minded, unstable in all he does. In the challenges of your life, do you find yourself being tossed back and forth? One moment you feel confident in the Lord, and another moment you are totally disconnected. It's as if God has left the room and you're about to leave it too. Or are you steady, able to stay the course without falling back? Well, God gave Satan limited permission to attack Job. I believe, to mature Job, to enable Job to 
comfort others, to prove his faith genuine, not to God, not to Satan, but to Job. Let's read further. Verse 13 in Job chapter 1. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said the oxen were plowing, the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. The oxen, the donkeys, his livestock were all gone. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, Lightning struck from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants. And I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another servant came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties, swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. Life, as Job knew it, started falling apart completely. He was worth millions, and all of a sudden, all of his holdings were gone. Everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong. One moment, he was the wealthiest man in the East. The next moment, he had, he had nothing. But that wasn't the worst. Look at verse 18. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. Many in this room could testify to the reality that no matter what age, the most difficult, the most hurtful thing that can happen to us in this life is to lose a child. And here Job lost all ten children at once. And on top of that, it surely troubled Job that his kids were partying at the time of their death. He had to wonder if they were right with God. Isn't that the case? One of the worst things that could happen would be the loss of a child. But isn't it so much worse when we're unsure or we know for sure that they do not have a relationship with God. Verse 20 says, At this Job got up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground in worship, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I'll depart. The Lord gives, and the Lord has taken away but may the name of the Lord be praised. Verse 21, in all this, Job did not sin. Several details here that are important. First, first is Job. Job did grieve. He tore his clothes. He shaved his head. Why? Because pain hurts. Suffering is still suffering, even if we have great faith in God. To pretend as if we're not dying inside is, is a lie. To pretend that we don't feel temporarily abandoned is absurd. 
If you continue reading the dialogue between Job and his friends that goes on throughout chapters, his prayers to God that expressed his suffering, you will hear and feel his grief. You will read times when he felt abandoned by God, but he didn't shake his fist. He didn't curse God as Satan had predicted. But instead, in verse 21, he worshiped God, saying, everything I belong, everything I have belongs to God. I'm still going to trust him. May the name of the Lord be praised. Now, when you think about it, when you think about it, how many answers do we get when we decide that we're not going to believe in God anymore in our anger and in our hurt? Does it help us? Does it do anyone any good to say that we'll never darken the door of a church again or to proclaim ourselves now as an atheist? Does atheism give you answers? Does sinful anger give you answers? No. No. It's the third lesson we learned from Job, and that is the key to enduring suffering is worship. Does that mean to come in and sing songs, to raise our hands? Well, that, that's a small piece of it. But worship, true worship, is acknowledging God for who he is, that he's our creator, that he's our mighty warrior, that he's our judge, that he's also our father, he's our counselor, he's our comforter, he's our friend, Job chapter 2, verse 3 reads, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity. Yes, you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Satan replied, Skin for skin, God A man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he'll surely curse you to your face. In verse 6, God says again, Okay, okay, Satan, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. Verse 7 says, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet, to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery, scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Then the closest family member he had, his wife, turned on him. Verse 9 says, his wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Job, why don't you just curse God and be done with it? He replied to his wife, you're talking like a foolish woman. Should we accept good from God and not trouble? In all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. Now, I used to poke fun at Job and the reality that God left him with his wife. After taking everything, he left him with an angry wife. But as I've lived a little bit more, and as you've lived, you can see it, can't you? Job's wife is grief-stricken. And his words of trust in God seem to only make the wounds run deeper. 
So she asked, how can you? How can you still trust God when he's done all of this to you? Just curse God and die. That would be a break for, for both of us. But Job doesn't. Here's one final lesson we learn from Job. And that is your experience and mine. It's not unique. Others have overcome adversity. And we can too. No matter how bad we have it right now, chances are you're not suffering any worse than Job did. Earlier, I listed three reasons why God allows suffering to mature us, to, to comfort us, to comfort others, and to strengthen our faith. But there's one other reason why God permits pain. Pain gets my focus off the earth and onto heaven. It's a reminder that this world is not our home. We're not to get too comfortable here. James finishes this section in verses 9 through 12 this way. He says, The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. You see, we think that the worst thing that can happen to us is to experience pain. But the worst thing that can happen to us is for us to not know Christ. Because if you don't know him, there's coming a day when the fire is not quenched and the pain never ceases. If you have Christ as your Savior, he promises that there's coming a day when there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, no more tears. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 1.25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. How many of you know Nancy Stone? Just give me a show of hands. How many of you were here eight years ago? It was eight years ago, last week, on a Monday afternoon. Bill Stone called me. He had been called to Country Lake where Nancy works. She was already blacking out. Her vision was already escaping. They checked her blood pressure, and it was well over 200, even the bottom number. He took her to the closest ER where I knew the doctor on duty that day. They called an air ambulance. She was taken to Louisville where they continued treatment. The doctor in the ER insisted that Bill and I call the kids. Some were in Georgia, others in Lexington. But he insisted that 
He didn't know how this was going to end. And so we called the kids, insisted that they pray, and then get to the hospital. For the rest of that day, it was touch and go. By Tuesday night, her blood pressure was back under 200, and her sight was beginning to be restored. On Wednesday afternoon, she was able to sit up in a chair to talk with family and begin to recall just a few of the details, most of which to this day she doesn't remember. She later made a full recovery. Nancy rarely speaks about this event in her life. In fact, it was just a couple weeks ago she brought up a few of the details in our grief share group. But her faithfulness and relentless staying power to live in the zone, (laughs) it can't be kept silent in her life. Every one of us who know her, we know of the staying power that tests and trials bring to the faithful like Nancy. You see, Jesus Christ went through unimaginable pain and suffering on the cross. He did that to save you and me from eternal suffering in hell. He took on himself the agony that sin brings so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty ourselves. Now listen, we feel sometimes, we feel some of that pain ourselves here on earth to remind us that when we accept his death on the cross as a free gift, he promises us his presence, his presence with us on our own journey. And he promises an eternal joy in heaven. That's why believers can say with confidence that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is how the Apostle Paul, this is how Job, this is how Nancy Stone, and countless others stay the course. And you can too. Let's stand and let's bow our heads together. Father, grant us wisdom. Grant us wisdom tonight to see you at work in our suffering. Grant us courage to stay the course and to be faithful. Grant us influence in the awakening that you're bringing all around us and inside of us to understand that the way we persevere, the way we see trials that come in our life while we are living in the zone has a huge impact on our family, and on our friends, on our community, and those that are watching. Father, may you find us faithful. May you find us looking to you for the power 
to stay, to stay the course. Father, your great love for us took the pain of our sin on the cross so that one day we could be with you where there is no more pain or suffering. Father, we're grateful. And this propels us. This keeps us. It secures us. Gives us something to look forward to as we not just endure, but as we thrive through the circumstances that you allow to come into our lives. We are grateful for your presence with us now and always. And for those who don't have your presence, Father, we pray for an awakening. We pray that even tonight their heart and their mind would be open to your offer of, yes, salvation and of your spirit that dwells within us and walks with us all along the way. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Tonight, if you would like to respond to the message that you've heard, the invitation is yours to come be baptized. Come and be part of this family. Come and let us pray with you and encourage you.